Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to start a series on discipleship called Following Jesus to the Cross. You know, we're sort of in a, a period where we're gearing up for Easter and uh, what I wanted to do was take a look at these scenes in the book of Matthew where Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem with his disciples to the cross. And so that's what we're going uh, to look at. And, and it's interesting in this part of scripture, Jesus really starts to focus on what discipleship means as he's preparing his, disi- his disciples um, to carry on after the cross. He's preparing them for this life of discipleship. And you could say that the main calling of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. Disciple is not a word that we usually use outside of the church. Um, it's not one you usually hear in business. It's, uh, but it basically means to be a follower of someone or a learner of someone, a student of someone. And so if you've placed your faith in Jesus, um, your primary, primary calling becomes to be his disciple, to be his student, to learn from him. And what we see with Jesus, as you look at at Matthew, you look at the Gospels, is that discipleship is a process. Uh, When Jesus called his disciples, they really didn't know what was going on. They were, one day they were fishing, uh, they were just doing their thing, making money, and then uh, Jesus came along and called them, hey, come follow me, and they did. They didn't know what they were signing up for, Uh, they just wanted to follow this guy and learn from this guy. And uh, what you could call sort of that first phase of discipleship is the come and see part, that you would come and just hang out with Jesus, that you would just get to know him. And when Jesus first came on the scene, people were drawn to him as a great prophet and a teacher. They were drawn to him because he healed paralytics and he healed blind men. Um, They came to him because he fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then discipleship moves from seeing to believing. In Scripture, it takes two to three years of being with Jesus before the disciple Peter actually decides to believe in him. He's been hanging out with him, talking to him for two to three years before he's, he realizes that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the chosen one, that he's Lord. And Peter's the first to recognize this out of all the disciples. But I think the most challenging part of the journey of discipleship is the part where Jesus not just invites us to believe, uh, but to come and die with him. In order to live to Christ, we must die to self. I think that's the hardest part of discipleship. Right after Peter makes his confession, Jesus changes the focus of his teaching towards the cross. And so as we head towards Easter, we'll follow this story in the book of Matthew. When I was a recruiter, I was a recruiter for a couple years out of college, and when I was a recruiter, a major part of that recruiting process was the lockdown conversation. Like, we'd, we'd find someone, we'd identify someone, we'd get them all ready and set up to go, but then we had to have the lockdown conversation with them. We had to talk them out of the job because we wanted to make sure that they were in. Um, so we would, you know, and this was really crucial, we, got, we would get in trouble if we didn't lock down people well. 
And so we would ask them questions like, are you sure you want to drive 30 minutes to work for a $12 an hour job? Um, we ran through the demands. You know, this is a very demanding job. You know, you might not have work and life balance for a while. Are you sure you want to commit to that? And then we'd, we'd double back on pay. Like, are you sure you can work long term on this amount of money? And then things sometimes got real when we asked the question, are you sure you can pass a drug test this morning? Because that's where I'm sending you after this conversation. So people needed to know what was required of them. We didn't want to have this awesome fit, this awesome person, only to send them out and fail a drug test. Uh, we didn't want to send people out to a job that we knew they were going to hate and then just walk away from. That wouldn't be good for anybody. And so I sort of imagine Jesus' appeal to come and die as his lockdown conversation with the disciples. Like, you believe, but do you really trust me? How much do you trust me? Are you really willing to give up everything to follow me? And so this week as we get into Matthew 16, we're going to look at where Jesus gets into this conversation. We're going to start in Matthew if you have your Bibles or you can look on the screen. We're going to look at Matthew 16 starting in verse 21. And it says this, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Jesus took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. This is a definitive moment for Jesus and the disciples. This is the time where Jesus sort of unveils what must occur in order for him to change the world. That he would actually have to go and die on a cross. That death would be a part of his plan to save the world. And Peter was not picturing this. The disciples were not picturing this as part of the plan. I think they were hoping that Jesus would just get more and more fame, uh, more and more notoriety in the community, and until the whole world caught, in, uh, caught on. They weren't expecting death to be part of the story. And so Peter rejects this idea. He, he takes Jesus out back and he says, no way, this is not going to happen. He might be wondering, like, Jesus, did you have a rough night? Like, what, what's going on? Why are you talking about death? And so he, then Jesus says something that nobody really wants to hear Jesus say to them, get behind me, Satan. I, I don't want to, I mean, that would be, uh, that would be kind of a, a shocker. <laughs> like, oh, man. Um, but Jesus says, Peter, you don't get it. You don't get it. You're, gonna, you're hindering me from doing the very thing that I need to do in order to save the world. Even though it's painful, this is what I need to do. This is my work. And basically, he says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter's saying the same lie that Satan says, that there must be some other way. There must be some other way besides death. And I think Peter's echoing all of our thoughts in that moment, that, man, there must be some other way than this death that you have to endure. None of us want death to be part of the story. We all want to find another way. And so I think the sentiment that Peter echoes is this, is that, and it's on the screen, most people want transformation without sacrifice. 
most people want transformation without sacrifice. I think if there's one thing we try to avoid in life, it's death, right? If there's one thing, we try to avoid death. Uh, Mark Sayers said that for our culture today, life is about avoiding suffering, pain, and death. Like that's, we, we want to avoid the whole thing. And, and we do that really well in the Pacific Northwest. We have great things to distract us um, from that. We've got great coffee. We've got great food. Um, we've got craft beer. Uh, we've got um, beauty all around us, everywhere. Um, so death in our culture really it's can be viewed of, a, of an interruption to the party, right? An interruption or an inconvenience to enjoying life. And I'm not saying that we don't have struggles in life. Of course we have struggles in life. Of course we do. We all are carrying different burdens. But most people want to experience change without the sacrifice. Most people want to improve the life they have instead of sacrificing it all for something else. And there's an entire industry that helps us get there. Um, if you've read a self-help book, that's a huge, huge industry. There are self-help books, blogs, and podcasts. They're all dedicated to help us like shore up our weaknesses and become a better you. And so... I looked at some of the titles out of some of the self-help books online. I just did a quick Google search. And I noticed that there's actually a lot of profanity in a lot of the titles now. So I can't really share all of them with you. Um, but some were like, how to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. Sounds good. Another was, you can heal yourself. And then another was, think and grow rich. It basically all points to the fact that in our culture, we think that the power to change is in ourselves. That if we really just buckle down, if we work hard, if we tell ourselves the right things, that at some point in life, we're going to reach a personal utopia before we die. That if we can just get the right wisdom from the right people, that that will change everything. And that really this journey to a better self comes through our effort comes through more of our effort. But I haven't just seen this in culture. I've also seen this in the church. When I first became a youth pastor in Portland, um, I worked f under a pastor who had really struggled to motivate his church for like the last 10 years. And so he was really frustrated with the constant pushback he was getting. And he was at a loss to move forward. And I remember we had a meeting one time with this sort of up-and-coming church planner, this church that was just kind of growing and exploding, a lot like CTK Blaine, really. I'm kidding. Um, but, but, you know, he asked my pastor, you know, who's just like, man, what do we do? He asked him, well, what if you just started preaching the gospel? And I was like, well, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? But I was really surprised by what my pastor said. He said, I think people would freak out. I'm like, at church? You know, and I'm really, really young. Like, this is my first time in ministry. I'm just thinking, what are you talking about? But what he meant was this. He, he, my, my pastor realized that people had become more committed to their way of doing things, more committed to their religion, to earning their way, than they had to actually following Jesus. They had followed religion to a point of inflexibility. 
And church to them had become more about checking boxes than actually pursuing Jesus. You know, religion says that we can get to God on our own. That we don't need the king to build the kingdom. And we can wrongly equate discipleship with just church activity. That's sort of a danger that we live in as the church. I think we're all susceptible to that. And it really isn't a new thing. Like, this has been going on for years. Um, In the Old Testament, the Hebrews struggled with this, is that they wanted to pursue God by rigorous law-keeping. Like, that's what it was about. Just if we can keep the law down to the letter, then we'll prove ourselves to God. And so that's why when Jesus comes on the scene, the Pharisees are the only people that he really goes after. He really goes after people who think that they can save themselves with religion. And so the reality that Peter can't stomach is that I can't get there on my own. I can't transform on my own. Peter was sold on following Jesus. He was sold to the kingdom of God. But what he couldn't grasp is that Jesus' death would be required. That in order for him to live, that Jesus would have to die. And he didn't want that to be part of the story. That Jesus died because we can't fix ourselves. The Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible (laughs) is God's love letter that shows us how to give our lives to him. It's a message. We can't save ourselves. We can't can't have enough good habits in order to to rescue our lives. Um, Because even if we arrive at some sort of temporary happiness, we're all headed off a cliff called death without a rope. We all need saving. And so after, Pe- after correcting Peter, uh, Jesus lays it all out for the disciples. He says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So that's, a, that's what you call a big heavy, okay, in Scripture. But Jesus ups the ante. It's not just that... It's not just that he would have to die, but in order to follow him, um, you would have to take up your own cross. You'd have to take up your own instrument of death and follow Jesus as well. And so what we see here is this. We see that transformation starts when we sacrifice our existing identity to follow Jesus. Is that our transformation starts when we're willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. When we're willing to identify with Jesus in his death. And Jesus is saying the only real way to be transformed, both here and for eternity, is to surrender our current life and take up this new one in him. That we would stop trying to pursue our own identity and our own things, and that we would find our identity in Christ. And so what Jesus is about is he's not about cosmetic changes to your life. He's not about changing this or tweaking this. He's about a complete rebuild of your heart. 
He's about changing everything. He wants to remake you inside and out. He doesn't want to change the external, thinking that it will change the internal. And so transformation, what we see is that transformation isn't an optional thing with Jesus. If you believe in him, transformation isn't optional. Um, if you look at these, these commands, they're all in an imperative tense, which means they're all, there's all the word must. The word must is kind of before all these commands. Um, first he says, if anyone would come after me, so that's everyone, everyone who desires to follow Jesus, if anyone would come after me, they must first deny themselves, and they must take up their cross, and they must follow me. Like, it's, a, it's an imperative. And so he's saying, if you really want to follow me, you've got to follow me all the way. You've got to sacrifice all the ways that you try to find your life in the world and find your life in me. And Jesus says, follow me, like he's talking to a soldier. Um, a soldier is, is someone who gives his life for a greater cause. Uh, a soldier gives up his identity to take on this other identity as a soldier. You know, they wear the same uniforms, they have the same haircuts. I'm not suggesting that we do that here at CTK Blaine, that'd be weird. Um, but above all, what is demanded of a soldier is allegiance, complete allegiance. You know, if a soldier woke up one morning and was like, you know, I'm, I'm really not feeling this today, um, they'd be court-martialed like that, right? Like, they'd be like, nope, you're unfit for duty, we can't have any of that. Um, they, they have to serve. Um, he has to be willing, a soldier has to be willing to, to be all in because other lives and the, the cause is at stake if he's not. And I like what Dave Clayton said. He said that Jesus is not looking for the most strategic or the most skilled. He's looking for the most surrendered. Jesus is looking for the most surrendered, those who are willing to be all in. He can use that person who's, the, who's more surrendered than the person who has the brightest mind or the most skills. You see, what matters as a disciple isn't what you bring to the table. What matters is where your heart is. Are you completely surrendered to Jesus? Are you willing to follow him wherever he would lead you? And I know that sacrifice and surrender, they're not super popular topics in our culture. They're not super attractive. Um, because we live in a world where people are busy finding themselves, um, building a life for themselves. And so Jesus says sacrificing your life is the only way to find it. And, and what's, what this passage shows us is that there's not, not a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple, that they're one and the same. You can't be a Christian without also being a disciple. So that means if you trust Jesus as your Savior, Savior, then you also follow him as your Lord. That faith always leads to action. But what he says is that through denying yourself, um, through following Jesus, that that's actually your ticket to freedom. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So freedom for Jesus is counterintuitive to the way we think. Um, it's not, we lose our lives when we are busy trying to find it out in the world. Um, but what he's saying is you're actually going to find your life when you're surrendered to me. When you're following me, you're actually going to find your life. 
And we live in a time and a place with more freedoms and more choices than we've ever had. You know, for instance, when I was growing up, there was only peanut butter, okay? And now we have almond butter, okay? Sunflower butter, hazelnut butter, pecan butter, and this really gross peanut butter that they make out of golden peas. Look it up on Amazon. You can order it. It can be at your house in two days. But our society runs on personal freedom. We run on choice. Like, that's our thing. Our freedom is, ba- our freedom, the way our culture describes freedom, is basically the ability to do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. Like, that is freedom in our culture. And you could say that it's even part of the American dream that more money equals more freedom. That if I just work really hard, if I earn enough money, that means I'll get to do the things that I want to do. And so it's easy for us to get distracted trying to find our life um, doing all the things that we want to do. Um, We might even check in with God from time to time while we're in this pursuit Um, But Jesus saying is if life is all about us, it leads to death. If it's all about us trying to find our life, it leads to death. There's a Dutch psychiatrist named Esther van Fenema. I hope I got that right. It was a weird last name. But not a Christian or anything, but she gave a TED Talk recently where she asked this question. Is unlimited freedom real freedom? And she pointed to people who were given complete freedom but derailed their lives because of addiction. Too much food, too much alcohol, too much tobacco, um, too many hours gaming, too much screen time. It all led people to unhealthy lives, to disease. You know, she brought up how her own addiction to tobacco led her to cancer at an early age. She brought up this story of a college student who... Um, had these great dreams, wanted to um, basically be an engineer and build water systems for the third world, um, but then dropped out of college because he was addicted to video games. Destroyed his dreams. She said that by 2020, depression is going to be the leading illness in the Western world. And so we need to ask the question, where is our freedom getting us? Where is all that freedom getting us? And her point was that too much freedom will kill us. And, and I think the point is that we, freedom, I, I, I love our, our freedoms and our personal freedoms, um, but left to ourselves, we overdose on freedoms. And so, unfortunately, that total freedom leads us to an empty place. When we use our freedom selfishly, it leads us down a road of broken relationships. It leads us down a road of loneliness. It leads us to a road where, where, where we don't have a lot of meaning outside of ourselves. And so the beauty of this calling is that Jesus is offering each of us an alternative to that, an alternative to the self-destructive road. He's saying that if you want to find your life, then lose it for my sake. Invest it all in me. Be transformed and learn the way of the king who bears a cross. And so he makes this appeal. This is Jesus's appeal to us. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so Jesus is saying that you need freedom. Everyone needs freedom, but you don't need the consumer freedom that the world can offer you. You need a soul freedom. 
you need, a free, you need freedom at a soul level that isn't restricted to your circumstances. You need to be free at a soul level. And that only happens when you walk with the one who created your soul. So he's saying that freedom is a relationship, that we're free when we're walking in relationship with Jesus. You know, you can't satisfy everything that your soul desires with external modifications by changing the outside. It only comes through internal transformation. I mean, you could spend your whole life, whole life pursuing those things on yourself, but at the end of your life, your soul will still be crying out for transformation. It will still be crying out for freedom. And so Jesus offers us that freedom and that meeting right here and right now when we follow him. And that freedom comes at that cost of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. And so as we start to wrap things up this morning, I want to I bring us to this point. Is that we're invited into transformation through growing allegiance to Jesus, the cross-bearing king. Is that for us, transformation happens through our growing allegiance to Jesus, the cross-bearing king. When you decide to follow Jesus, two things happen. One is that you are transformed. You're transformed where you sit. You're transformed in an instant. And then the second is that you are being transformed. Both happen when you follow Jesus. Jesus invites you into transformation today. That when you believe in Jesus, instantly your identity changes before God. You're no longer who you were. You're clothed in the grace of Jesus. Uh, you are saved from your past, and you've been made instantly into a child of God and a follower of him, an heir of heaven. Like, that is the good news. That is the good news. You are changed in an instant. And then the rest of your life becomes a journey of being transformed. You're transformed, and you're be being transformed. You become more and more um, shaped into the image of Jesus the cross-bearing king. Jesus models and teaches for us the way that we're supposed to live. I think that Paul, um, this, this is really comes home in Galatians 2.20 where Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice that it says you have been crucified. You've changed in an instant. Christ's death is your death. So if you put your trust in Jesus, you're free now. And you've been released from your sin, and you've been restored to relationship with God. And then Paul says, the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God, in Jesus, who, the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. And the one who helps us do that is the Holy Spirit. It's actually God in us, helping, helping us make those changes, transforming us from the inside out. And so our faith isn't one that leads us to sit. It's not about just kind of sitting around and waiting for something to happen. Uh, it leads us to follow. Our faith leads us to follow. And if we truly believe in Jesus, if our trust is there, uh, then we live for his kingdom and not ours. Life becomes about living for his kingdom, getting wrapped up in the excitement of his kingdom, the greater cause than the lesser cause of self. 
And the evidence in our faith comes out in action. James said, faith without works is dead. So the way that we show our, our, the, the, the evidence of our faith comes out by what we do. And so we need to ask ourselves, do our actions say that we want Jesus and him first? Or do they say we still prefer building our own kingdom over here? And that's, that's a challenge for us today. What do your actions say? Do you want Jesus? Or do you want to build your own kingdom? Because our individual identity has to be crucified with Christ in order for us to have life. We put to death the pursuit of our own kingdom, and we pursue, we go all in with the kingdom of God. And we get our hearts in line with what Jesus says. And it's a process of transformation. You are are transformed and you are being transformed. It's a process. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a missionary, and he died actually at the hands of the Nazis in World War II. And what he said was this. He said that discipleship is nothing less than full allegiance to Jesus and his teachings. And so when we decide to follow Jesus, it leads us into full allegiance with him. It leads us into laying things down one step at a time and learning to trust Jesus completely. Like any relationship, right? Um, We learn to trust him completely. And what I've seen in my life is that I, when I lay down my life one piece at a time, that there's more and more freedom there. Um, here's a here's a goofy example, okay? Um, I used to play this online game called Airline Manager. Um, the pilots in the room are probably really impressed right now. Um, um, but you build your own airline, okay? You buy planes and you, you, you pick routes and stuff. Really nerdy, you know, that's the stuff I enjoy. Um, and it seemed really harmless at first, right? I'm just like playing and every once in a while. But then I noticed like, I started playing more, and I started thinking about it, this goofy little game, when I wasn't playing it. Like, man, should I really open a route to Greenland? Like, that would be, that would be pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I knew, like, okay, this is ridiculous. I need to stop this. Like, I can't let this distract me from being present with my kids. I can't let this distract me from being present with God. And so when I deleted it, it was like, ah. Oh, I could breathe a little bit. It was like, okay, I don't have to worry about this weird stuff anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. But y- we all have those things. You know, the Bible calls them idols. We all have these idols in our lives that fight for our allegiance with God. Do you know your idols? Like, what are the things right now that you're arguing with God about? Like, man, you know... Y- because it's all this vying for allegiance. The idols in our lives vie for allegiance. They, they make us think, eh, this isn't really that bad. Like, I'm good. But Jesus wants us to be all in. Jesus wants us to be all in. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, like, discipleship is full allegiance. You know, and we, get, we can get caught up in whatever our addiction is. Um, but it's when we surrender that, that we give God more. We give Jesus more of our allegiance whatever that is for you. If, it's any, if there's anything in your life that's in the way of following Jesus, then in order to follow him with full allegiance, it, it must go. And when we, do those, when, when we do lay down those things, there's this sense of freedom and a sense of purpose that emerges. We weren't just saved from something, we were saved for something. 
we actually get to find out who we were created to be when we surrender those things. We weren't made for our addictions. We weren't made for ourselves. We were made for a greater cause. And we get to discover what that is when we lay down our lives in allegiance to Jesus. And so following Jesus, it's not about boring compliance. Uh, It's about being fully surrendered so that we can know who God has made us to be. And I think one cool thing about being a part of a church plant like this is that people have just been trying things and trying things and discovering this passion for people. And it's just a beautiful thing. And when we lay down our lives, uh, we get to walk more and more into that. And it's a process. It's a journey of transformation. But as we close today, think about where you're at with Jesus this morning. Where is your allegiance? And the band, you guys can come on up. Are you surrendered to him? Is your heart surrendered to him? Are there things that are not surrendered to him? And maybe this morning you can do a little bit of business with God, that you could actually talk to God this morning and surrender those things to him. I want to make space this morning, just as the band plays, to, for all of you, each of us, to just spend that time with God. Um, we're going to spend a couple minutes just in, in prayer. I want us to just kind of be silent, um, to, to pray just um, as God leads us. Just ask God those questions. What are the things in my heart, God, that, that I need to give up? What are the things, when, when, when you say deny myself, what are you talking about for me personally? What are the things that I must deny in order to follow you fully? Because the goal is freedom. The goal is a vibrant life in Christ when we're fully submitted and fully surrendered to him. And so I want to encourage you after I pray just to spend that time um, just, just talking with God. If you want to pray with someone, we're going to have people over here ready to pray for you. Um, I'm going to be at the back. Like, if you are ready to surrender your life to Jesus, we want to know that. We want you to tell someone. Um, But let, just spend some time with Jesus this morning asking him that question. Am I fully committed? Are there things I've been negotiating with you on? Jesus, show me what needs to change. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the freedom that comes from knowing you, God. That when we walk with you, we walk in relationship with the one who saved, who created and saved our soul. Lord, the one who loves us more than anyone in the world loves us, the one who knows us more than anyone in the world knows us, we get to walk in the freedom of relationship with you. And so I pray for each person here this morning Jesus, that as we wrestle with this, that we, our trust in you would grow. That we would trust you enough to lay it down this morning, God. To to lay down our burden, our hurt, our sin, and trust you and pick up our cross. Lord, we don't want death. We don't want death to self to be part of the story. Jesus, sometimes that's scary. The idea of denying ourselves and taking up our cross. Being surrendered is a scary thing, but I pray for courage for us this morning. I pray for courage. I pray for victory. I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts. Jesus, I just thank you, Father, for all the ways that you reach out to us. It's not about us trying to reach up to you, but you 
reach down to us right now, right where we're at. You speak right to our heart. You speak the good news that we need to hear. So Jesus, do that work this morning in your name. Amen.